I asked Father Sibley right before the 6 p.m. Mass if he thought this was an appropriate story to share. And we'll ask him if he thought it was an inappropriate story to share, not if it was appropriate. And uh, he said, uh, no, you might be able to share it. So uh, if this is deemed inappropriate, then it's Father Sibley's fault. And uh, it doesn't matter to him he's leaving in two weeks anyway. So, um, But this past week, uh, me and a few priest friends went on an offshore fishing trip, and this isn't something that I, that I do or that I've done, uh, but specifically for swordfish. And whenever we got out there, um, we had to wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning and then, you know, leave to get, and then you're on the boat at 5.15 in the morning, and you drive out on the boat for an hour, 40 miles offshore, and it's incredibly hot this past week because this is out of Venice, Louisiana, so it was hotter than it was here. And you're out there all day. Well, you're drinking maybe a case of water, close to a case of water, and uh, maybe, you know, six Gatorades as well every day. And so very early on in the fishing trip, once we get on the boat, there are eight people on this boat, and it's a smaller boat. Uh, I quickly realized that I am incapable of relieving myself um, be, just because of the dynamic of the way that the boat is rocking and, um, and it's just not working. And so all this fluid that I'm sweating out and drinking is just building up and building up. And three hours into the trip, I realized that I'm in a great amount of pain and that this is very embarrassing because, you know, I want to go and I can't. But at that point, our first sword, swordfish had hit. And this swordfish, uh, one priest started uh, reeling on it, and he reeled for like two and a half minutes. I'm like, what's wrong with this? I mean, I've never done this before. But these swordfish are a thousand feet in the water, and you have these big rod and reels. And so then I got up, because he was starting to cramp up, and I started reeling. Well, I could reel for only three and a half minutes, and I was already, I was just done. I didn't know what else to do. So then um, eventually that priest gets back on and he finishes off. It takes about 25 minutes to get the sword fishing. So then the guide sets another hook, puts another one in. This swordfish priest gets up, starts cranking maybe for about four minutes after that he gets off. I get on for a few minutes after that. I'm like, man, I can't handle this. So then I get on. So then the priest gets back on. He cranks for another 10 or so minutes. In 15 minutes we have a second swordfish. So at this point, I, my accumulation, it's, it's, a, it's compounding interest um, is what's happening. And it gets to a spot where um, it's my turn to crank the rod and put the bait in. Eventually a fish hits. And because these fish are a thousand feet in the water, you don't know really what's under it. So like, all right, Steve, it's your turn. Okay. Well, I can... I think I can do 30 minutes. So I get on, eventually I'm harnessed in, like I'm gonna take down this fish. Two hours later, I'm still cranking on the same fish. And I'm asking everybody on the boat permission to pee my own pants. Um, Or just having the mental, I just needed to know that that would be okay if I had to do it. And it still didn't help. And so eventually, being almost throwing up, being on the verge of tears, I had to relinquish the rod. 
only to find out, I don't know how all this, I knew how this worked in the middle of it. Uh, they said, man, this is probably a big fish. And for one of these, like you want to get one of these records, then you have to have one angler on the rod the whole time. And so um, at one point, an hour and a half in, I'm just, I'm like cranking over, they're pouring water down my head and on my feet and all this stuff. And I look up and the, saw the tail end of the fish and it jumped up and apparently it was very big. And we got in the boat, we found out this would have been a top 10 state record had I had the ability to urinate. Um, but I didn't have that. So nonetheless, uh, my pride to want to finish the job uh, was not enough. And we did get the fish in three hours and 15 minutes uh, in total, but uh, it, was, it was a failure. So what does that have to do with the gospel? Uh, a little bit, but not much. I just kind of want to tell a story. <laughs> um, but I want to make three points uh, based off the first reading of the gospel. Uh, the first is based off the gospel, and, and the gospel really deals, I think, essentially with this problem of evil that we're familiar with. It, is that Jesus is in a boat with the disciples. The disciples... Uh, are then in this storm, and this isn't like a regular rainstorm, right? The disciples are fishermen from Galilee, so they're accustomed to storms on Galilee. But for this particular storm, they want to wake Jesus up, and they say, will you not be with us when we perish? That they think that this storm is going to be one that kills them. And this, the Greek word for filling the boat that's happening right here is the same word that you use to, like, fill a sponge. You know, like it's almost capsized. And so we have this kind of problem evil. It's like, why does God allow this to happen? And then God says, oh, men of little faith, whenever he wakes them up, what is, how do we untangle this? And a lot of times when we are in suffering, um, which I definitely want, you know, at some point one of the guys on the boat said, man, Father Steve's, we're making him really happy by saying that this fish is big. And the only words that I could say were like, no, you're not, no, you're not. Like, cause I just want to get out of this. Like if we could go back and you could tell me that I could relieve myself, I would go back in a heartbeat. Just like take my money, that's fine. Cause a lot of times when we're in the middle of suffering, the only thing that we really want is relief from the suffering. But what God's designs are so much greater that whenever, for instance, in what's happening in the gospel, is that Jesus puts them in the boat to go to the other side. And so it'd be very easy for the disciples to say, let's turn the boat around and go back. It's not worth going to do this ministry that you desire us to do on the other side. But in the midst of the suffering, God always wants something for us that's so much greater. And what we don't realize is a lot of times when we're in the middle of suffering, we ask the question, why did God allow this? I was fine before. And that is a false memory. A lot of times we tell ourselves that. Life was good before. And the reality is, it wasn't. We're born into a veil of tears and we're born into chaos. And that we're always going to be a veil of tears until we reach our heavenly homeland. And that the only gate to that heavenly homeland is the cross. And so... In the middle of suffering, we can't conjure this false nostalgia that we have of our past that says, life was good, everything was fine. And then somehow God invited the suffering in and 
now God is the enemy, and I understand what he's doing. That's a false narrative that we tell ourselves at times, because the reality is, is that we are constantly in a veil of tears, and that the one way to heaven is through the cross. And the second point um, is from this book of Job, from the first reading that we heard. So we have the image, right, of, of Jesus in the gospel. You have Jesus in the boat, you have the, the Sea of Galilee, and then you have this wind. That's what a storm, the storm is blowing in this wind, and it's creating these waves, and the waves are what rocks the boat. It's not so much the wind that rocks the boat as it is the waves. Um, and these waves, what uh, God says in the book of Job is this. Let me back up for a little bit of context. The book of Job is written. We know Job is this just man. He has a lot of things going for him. He's got a decent life. And God allows Satan to test him to see if Job will remain just. Now, throughout the whole book of Job, what Job is doing is that he's talking to his three friends. And he's not just determining the meaning of his suffering. He's really determining, and this is where we get into trouble, he's determining the value of his suffering, whether his suffering is worth going through for the sake of God, or whether it's not. And now, at the end of the book of Job, the Lord addresses Job out of the storm, and he says, Thus far shall you come, but no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stilled. In other words, what God is saying is, I'm telling you that I'm the one who created the world. I'm the one who's the architect behind all of these things. And that you're not going to understand the value of this suffering. You're going to come thus far and know that I am providential, but you're not going to come any farther. And so in pride, sometimes we try to determine the value of our suffering, whether it's worth suffering with the Lord or not. And that is where God will silence our pride. Sometimes what God will do is that he will allow the winds to blow upon our hearts, the winds of tribulation, until our hearts are kicked up, that the prideful waves of our hearts are kicked up, so that Jesus can come in and silence that pride. Say, be still. It's interesting, the very exact words that Jesus uses in this gospel are the, uh, to say silence and be still are the very exact words that he's going to use a few verses later whenever he talks to a man who is possessed by a demon. So that's silence and be still. That what God is doing is that he is silencing and stilling the pride that is kicked up in our hearts that tries to determine the value of suffering, whether I should suffer with God or whether I should not. And that is not for us to decide. But thirdly, is that all of this happens in the context of a mission. That God is silencing this pride, not just, like I'm, what, I'm trying, what I'm not trying to do is say, look, I'm reducing the problem of evil to three things. But we should come out from suffering with these three fruits. And that is being humbled, being purified, but being third, but this last one, being set up for mission. That the the backstory behind this is that Jesus has now has just been preaching parables all day. He's sleep on the boat because he's exhausted. And now what he's told the disciples get in the boat, come to the other side, so that they can do something similar, so they can share in this ministry. 
And what will happen is that God will sometimes put us on a mission. It seems like there's a clear path to get to that mission, a boat going from one side of the lake to the other. And then in the middle of a mission that God might give us, that there will be a suffering, there will be a storm. But what that suffering and that storm is, is a purification and a preparation for that mission. That perhaps God gave us an immature zeal to begin to carry out his mission, whatever that might be, whether, um, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a certain occupation, whether it's an application to seminary, whatever that might be, that God would put that desire on our hearts. And then it seems like a storm comes to stop us from carrying out that mission. But what that storm does is that it purifies us to carry out that mission. And so what Pope Francis says in conclusion is that sometimes Jesus sleeps so that we can wake up. That Jesus sleeps in the boat so that we can wake up. You can imagine that perhaps if Jesus never went to sleep, that the disciples would never be, in a posi- be put in a position to acknowledge that this man was God who calmed the waves, that this was the man who had control over the chaos. And so we ask that the Lord, who might be sleeping during some of our sufferings, can wake us up out of our slumber so that we may call upon him.